Are you looking for the perfect bracelet for a loved one? Would your man be interested in a personalized keyring from his children? Are you looking for the best priced jewelry, whether it be a necklace, ring, earrings, bangle, or even more? Look no further than Crafted Arts. Crafted Arts is a local business based in Barry within the Vale of Morgan, and they have a range of all the perfect items you need. If it's for the perfect gift for an anniversary, or maybe it's for someone's birthday, maybe something for Christmas, or you wanted to give someone that perfect gift that will last a long time, Crafted Arts is the business for you. If you want to know more or see what they have in stock, then you can visit them locally at 29 High Street, Barry, Vela Morgan, CF627EB. Or you can go onto their website at www.craftedarts.co.uk. You can even email them at info at craftedarts.co.uk or maybe just give them a call at 07789942248. Trust me, it's worth it for the perfect gift. The best thing about Creative Space is that we don't just want to encourage people in being creative in TV, film, or even theatre. We also want you to be creative in a variety of other things as well. So, do you want to have experience in making jewelry? Do you want to pick up a hobby but do not know what to take or where to start? then look no further than the Veil Jewelry Workshops. Veil Jewelry Workshops provides the best experience in teaching you how to make the best sterling silver jewelry. They will help you make a range of silverware including rings, bracelets and many more pieces. You will learn the basic silversmith skills such as soldering, texturing, shaping and lots more. Not only do the workshops provide the experience for adults, it also provides the best experience and fun for children as well. So if you want to learn on how to make sterling silver jewelry and if you're very interested, go onto their website at www.veildewelryworkshops.co.uk or get in touch with them via email at info at veildewelryworkshops.co.uk or even phone them at 07789794248. Hi. Hi, we're Billboard Ensemble. Uh-huh. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is coming to the Memo Arts Centre from the 20th to the 23rd of July, featuring 25 dance floor classics such as I Will Survive, Hot Stuff, Go West, and many more. Tickets on sale now at memoartcenter.co.uk or call at 01446 Hello and welcome back to Creative Space Podcast. I am your host, Trilly Reese Deans, and on this particular episode today, I sit down and talk with singer, Welsh singer that is, James Fox. Now, this one is a little bit different because not long ago, I did this episode with James sometime in the late 2020 for another podcast that I thought was going to be the next big thing for me as a next big project and it never got anywhere i only did three episodes and i was really disappointed with the whole setup and how i was doing it and i thought i wasn't gonna go anywhere with it but i really enjoyed this episode i really enjoyed sitting down and talking to james fox about his career you know because I, I've just recently watched Eurovision and, and I was happy to see the UK finishing in second and, and it got me thinking maybe 
you know, I should bring back that James Fox episode where we talked about his career in in Eurovision when he represented the UK going back in the early 2000s, you know, being in musical theatre and, and so much more. We had so much to talk about. So, and I didn't want that episode to go to waste. I mean, you can still see the full video, visual format, you know, on my YouTube channel at Deansy Boy Show. But I figured that this deserves to be on the Creative Space podcast. So, without further ado, guys, I'm going to give you the re-upload version of my podcast with James Fox on Create Space. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. I lost your sound for a minute, but it's almost I guess we'll cope with that as it goes through. Yeah, no, it'll be fine. Can you hear me now? Yes, gotcha. Uh, no way. So um, James Fox on... Well, let's talk with James Fox, uh, basically. First ever episode for this new podcast and i'm actually really humbled and honored that you can come here and come come on the show and uh i know um covid is not really going to help much but uh, we can always enjoy you know the the best of it so i just want to say thank you for for coming on the show oh my pleasure mate no worries not not at all thanks for having me yeah no worries and the, the one thing i really wanted to talk about very uh first of all is um uh, a lot of my mates will remember you for the guy who made the Bluebird Flying High 2008 song and everything. I just want to share this with you because uh, uh, I, I'm no singer. I'm more of a, a musical theatre kind of singing person. And uh, and I remember I was uh, 14, 15 years old. And I remember um, going into this audition for, uh, audition for this uh, group, dramatic group. And I, I didn't know what song to sing or anything like that. And at the time, I was, I was a big Cardiff City fan. I thought, oh, I've listened to this song recently. So I'll just sing to you with my eyes. You sang that for the audition? Yeah, I sang that for my audition. So, I, I guess he didn't make it through then. No. Oh, he made it through. <laughs> oh, good man. Good man. There you go. <laughs> but no, what it was, I remember, um, because I, um, uh, I, I'm used to acting and singing was only just a, a fun part, really. Right, right. And, uh, and I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm not really a confident singer. What, what am I going to do? And uh, so my dad and my mates were saying, uh, just, just sing this song, you, you just don't sing this song. And, uh, and I just went, oh, all right then. But when you get nervous, you know, I, I don't know what it's like to be a TV trained musical um, singer, songwriter and everything. But for me, I had the lyrics in my hand and I'm shaking. I'm saying, watch the blue bus flying high, oh, that's is on a strike. And, uh, and, they were smiling and they just went through it yesterday and I thought, yes. Come yes. on. I, I, yeah, that, that song's been a winner all around then. That's good. That's good to well, know. Literally. But I just wanted to know what, what was the reason behind it though? Because uh, I know Cardiff were getting to the final and everything, but what was the reason, the story behind that song? Yeah, I was going to ask you why you used to be a Cardiff fan and you're not anymore. What, what, what went wrong there? Oh, I'll tell you this uh, very quickly. That I, I explained it on, the Drags, on my Dragon's Voice podcast, but the reason why is because... Um, I was, I was only young, and because I'm from Barry, um, right. I thought Barry Town Football Club were no more growing up because they went through financial difficulties and they, they basically just disappeared for, into the darkness. And I just thought Jenna Park was used for local football and everything. So right. obviously Cardiff's, Cardiff's just not far away from me, so I just um, started supporting them. So the Indian Park vibes was what uh, suck me in basically, and uh, and when we moved to Cardiff City Stadium, oh, I we lost the atmosphere a bit, but I was still a very confident Cardiff City supporter. 
And the problem was, um, by the time the Malaysian owners came in, Vincent Pan came in and everything, and the whole system changed, that's what made me lose my passion and love when the, they turned to red. And I was, still, I, was one of, I was like the Black Knight in Monty Python. I thought, no, I'll carry on, I'll carry on. But what really done me in, and I don't want to ridicule the Cavs supporters because they're brilliant supporters anyway, but I remember it was a Premier League game. We were uh, deep in Fulham. And all of a sudden, um, a group of Cav City supporters, and I was 16 at the time, but I had a beard, so I, I kind of give it away. Um, so they were starting on me because I was apparently being annoying. I was doing my own thing, and they were threatening to kick my head in outside the, uh, the stadium. So I, I was a bit, oh, I was, like, I was taken back by it. And that was the final nail in the coffin where I thought, I can't enough. And at that time, anyway, I was going to watch a lot of Barrytown coming away matches. And so the, the the atmosphere there, and I felt, like I said, no disrespect to Cardiff, I felt more important at Barry than I was. And so that's where the change is. I still, gotcha. I still follow Cardiff. I still keep him up in it. And a lot of people, don't get me wrong, I mean, 10 years down the line, uh, a lot of people say, I feel you still support Cardiff. And I still no, but, you know, I still check up the Mighty Bluebirds. I still get happy when they win. And, and you know, and I still have those memories, you know, and I will not say a bad word, even though I, I mean, I explain the reason why, but even to this day, no one should um, really um, ridicule Cardiff because of poor reasons, whatever. But that was just the way I felt back then. So, no, but um, but what but what was the story behind the the song then, Bluebirds Cry and Hide? Well, I guess. You know, obviously, you know, that, that's what I do. I'm a, you know, a musician, songwriter, um, and I'm a big Cardiff fan. So, <clears throat> you know, you never, well, <laughs> if, you, if you watch Cardiff as long as I have since the early 80s, you never think you're going to get to an FA Cup final because, you know, when you're languishing at the bottom of the old fourth division, you know, it's not really something that happens very often. So when we got to that, I think it was the semi-final, or maybe just before the semi-final against uh, Barnsley, um, I thought, well, we, we could get through you. You know, this this could happen. I thought, there's got to be an FA Cup song. Because that's always been a tradition, you know, like, you know, especially in the 80s and 90s, it was very popular for teams to have an FA Cup song. I thought, well, I've got to do it. You know, if I've, I've got to get it done. And I just thought, everybody, if we win this game against Barnsley, everybody's going to turn up to the club with a, with a cup song the day after. So, you know, I thought, I'd write it before that, thinking, <clears throat> you know, we could get lucky and win it, and we did. And then, literally, the day after we beat Barnsley and we got through the final, I was there at the club with it, you know, with my song already produced and done. Because a lot of people thought, probably woke up that morning and thought, oh, I'm going to write, you know, maybe write a song. And they did. There's a lot of other songs that were written. Um, but I got in there first because I was so confident that we were going to win. I thought, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be me, you know. Um, so, yeah, and I just sat, literally sat there. It took me 10 minutes. Some people probably think, well, it's that long, you know. Uh, no, it took me 10 minutes. I just sat on the piano one day and um, just had the chorus, which is pretty, you know, it's just a pretty straightforward song. It doesn't save the world, you know, but as a football song, I guess it does, it, you know, it, it connected with the, with the fans. We sold over 20-odd thousand copies, I think, you know, got in the chart. Was it 13 or something? Which, when you're only selling out of Cardiff, is a absolute result, you know. No, no record companies wanted to touch it because they said it would never get in the top, you know, top 40. So it was a... A bit of a success all around, you know. I think it's a, it's a disc up there, actually, with it on the. Oh, on the... yeah, I can see it just in the corner, yeah. One of many, cards. <laughs> it's the only one I've got. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Um, when you've seen him in the top 13, I was just actually I was doing my research before this podcast, and um, the Blue was flying high. It was number one in the part of the UK indie singles and the Welsh charts, you know. So, 
it's gotten somewhere and it must be right. you know and the thing is the thing is as well it's not left part of city you know and there's a lot of people who still play it you know in their cars when they're going to watch them away or they're going yeah. and um do and the thing is as well if you look at uh, the the other songs that come in i uh, i mean johnny owens uh did i'll be there you know and uh and i can't yeah. say the guy's name but he did the with the booers we do the ayatollah so this is around about the time where um <laughs> run it at the time that you released the, 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 the song and that. But not only did you release when you made this song, you alternated a bit because when we got to the Callum when Callum got to the Callum Cup final it you altered it a bit. But uh um did, did you want it to alter it or did you think no it you know, do you know that was the, one of them things, you know, when I look back now, um I guess it was good to get all the, play you know, I had to get the team on board, you had to get the club on board and the team on board. So I thought, well, it'd be, it'd be you know, clever or whatever to, to shoehorn all the players' names in, especially people like Enkelman. That's not an easy word to rhyme with. Um, you know, if I got all the players in there, maybe they'd be like, oh, you know, they you mentioned me there because, you know, it was funny to see the players, you think they wouldn't care about that, but as soon as they got wind of it, they were like, do, do I get a mention? Do I get a mention? You know, every, every player was wondering what, you know, was said about them. So it was a good thing in terms of getting it through the front door and, and getting it to be the official song. But when I look back, it sort of date stamped it. So then, you know, you can't, it's, it's not one of those songs you can sing. I mean, the chorus, if you ever get to Wembley again, of course you can sing the chorus. And I, and I know a lot of people still play it, which is great. Um, but looking back, if I'd have left the players' names out, maybe it wouldn't have been a hit, but then it could have been recycled, you know, every every year. And then maybe people would be sick of me even more than they already are. <laughs> and uh, the thing about it is, is you, you've come of a, a great background of uh, many, many moments, you know, and especially in Eurovision, which is going to mention now, you know, because um, my, my missus, she's a big fan of Eurovision and uh, she was, and that was the first thing she looked at was Eurovision. You've got to ask these questions, you know, and uh, I, I don't know about today. I'm not, to be honest, I mean, I was a big fan of Eurovision, but I think in today's time, I, uh, I think it's gone a bit too political in, in my opinion i think it's gone too political um but what what's your initial when you when you performed at eurovision i mean that's a career achievement in itself you know and i've always been but um for you what, what's your initial uh, opinion on eurovision and what was it like to perform in in turkey to represent the uk uh well i mean growing up you know my, my dad was a drummer and we always you know I think you're either in a family that watches that every year or you're not, and we did, you know, uh, so you're always aware of it. We weren't fanatics, but, uh, you know, we were aware it was on, obviously. And a lot of, I think in the 80s and 90s, a lot of the big bands, you know, even people like, you know, like Bucks Fizz and stuff, they were in the charts when these people, you knew who these people were, and then you sort of rooting from on Eurovision. It was kind of a bigger deal, maybe now, not so much, I don't know. It's more of a, it's, more, it's gone more to a sort of Eastern European, uh, you know, contest, you know, it's, it's a bit, um, like you said, very political, but, um, I was at one eye on it. My dad was a big fan of Cliff Richard and the shadows and people like that and Lulu from the sixties, you know, so he, they obviously did Eurovision. So I was aware of it. Um, and when I got asked to do it, I, I was kind of like, no, that's, you know, I've done fame Academy. I've done you know, bits and pieces. I thought that's, if you had Eurovision, that that's like career suicide, you know, that's like every, you know, because a lot of these people do these shows and they, they're gone the year after. So it was it was a tough decision. But that year they said Sony Records were involved. So I thought, look, I've always wanted, you know, I got a record deal with Sony on the back of it. So I thought that's, that was the big pull for me because um, I was reticent to do it. But then as soon as I got involved in it, it's, um, you realize you're actually representing, you know, and it's going to sound 
obvious, but you're representing your country. And when do you ever get to do that? You know, if I'm no elite sort of sportsman or anything like that. I was never going to do that. So to be a musician, just bumming around, you know, um, doing gigs for, you know, whatever, since I was about seven, it's like suddenly representing your country. That's, you know, that's, uh, it dawned on me, it's just kind of a big deal, you know, even if you don't take the contest seriously, it's um, when you're up there and you see you've got like maybe 20,000 people in the uh, in the stadium watching all the British flags and stuff and you realise there's like 300 million people watching and this, in that moment, it's a big deal and it's sort of, um, yeah, it was a very proud moment actually, you see a few Welsh flags out there, a few daffodils flying, you know, and it's like, wow, don't, don't mess this up. Yeah. <laughs> when you went to uh, Turkey to perform, you know, with a song which was uh, Hold On To Our Love. Was it very, um, what was the uh, atmosphere like? And how how did you, did you know when you got the seat and everything, when they do the resort, you're all sat in different positions and then- In the green room, yeah. Yeah, you got the glass. But what was it like to be in presence of all the other singers, uh, singers across Europe? And uh, what was the um, sort of the schedule like for you when you got there and right, right. tried to perform it? It's like a circus. Uh, have, you, have you seen the, uh, the Will Ferrell Eurovision film? Yes, I have. Uh, not long ago. It's exactly like that. Oh, is it? Honestly, yeah. man. If anybody wants to know what it's like to do Eurovision, watch that film. Because you look at that and you think it's outrageous. These parties and they got like, you know, lions and, you know, things. You know, just like, if you can imagine chaos, you've got people on stilts, stilt walkers, people, you know, juggling knives and like fireworks going off. And that's the minute you get there. I, I was hungover, I was on the plane, I turned up to Turkey thinking no one's gonna care about this. You know, I've got like five days to chill by a pool maybe or something and then we'll just sing and then go home. You get there and it's like the world's press waiting for you. You know, I look the right state. And um, and from that five days you're invited to every country wants to host a party. You know, we end up in some sort of, some palace in Turkey with some guy, you know, like, I can't remember it was. Um, he puts on these ridiculous lavish parties and every day there's, there's just basically five days of heavy drinking. So you've got to basically pace yourself that the day before you sing, you actually have a day off. Otherwise you're going to turn up and the contest absolutely wrecked. It, it, it's one big party. It's like the World Cup. So like if you can imagine that, it's like parties in the street, everyone, yeah, it's the closest like going to the Euros or the World Cup, except it's singing instead of football you know, or rugby or whatever, you know, it's, um, absolute chaos so you just got to make sure that the day before you maybe take a break so you can you know hold it together for three minutes but the backstage is exactly the same it's um you know i was on my own with a guitar i had a couple of backing singers but most people in there you got the, like each band or each you know act each each country and they've got like 30 or 40 people on stage with them so the green room and all these bits absolutely packed you get like a a couple of minutes rehearsal you get to go through it once the day before maybe and then on the day everyone's getting their makeup and hair done well obviously you know i'm just i'm not involved in that so i'm just sat there just waiting and it's uh but it's absolute chaos it's like a pantomime a circus it's total chaos and there's, there's alcohol everywhere it's uh it, it's it's mental i do it again in a heartbeat it was one of the best weeks i had it was just like a big party it was uh, a lot of fun with that in mind you know you a lot of people do um Put you up there with the likes of you know there's there's Captain Jenkins you know um there's Manic Street Preachers and Doctor Stereophonics you know, you're up there because a lot of people would, you would think of golf singers you know your name is up there you know and, and um, okay. I've always uh, I I remember once uh, someone asked me a question and uh, this is not me trying to you know be very oh welcome and everything be humble and everything, but uh, someone said to me once he said dog top five Welsh singers, in my opinion, I said, uh, and I, I know a lot of people mentioned Tom Jones, and I thought, yeah, you can mention Tom Jones because, you know, of what he's achieved and where he's come from, you know, in the valleys and everything, but 
But that's just, I always thought, usually Tom Jones was an overrated answer. It's like, yeah, it's an easy answer, you know. And I've always said, oh, Super Fury Animals or James Fox, you know, because I think, you know, and Manic Street Creatures and I, all these uh, bands and, and singers, you know, and indie, you know, singers and bands, you know, they, I always felt that they don't get enough credit as they should, you know, and uh, that's why I always try to say, look, if you're going to listen to songs or whatever, you've got to listen to Manic Street, you've got to listen to Super Fury Animals, you've got to listen to, um, James Fox all these singers because these are the ones that are actually getting the pure um, authenticity and the art into the songs and everything. Um, but like yourself, because you, you performed with through cable, you know, and uh, what was what was he like to be? Because uh, he's, you know, I don't know how long he's gone now, but what was he like to be in the presence of Stuart Cable, and what was he like as a person? Uh, well, I mean, firstly, I mean, thank you. I've never been, I've never been uh, put in the same sort of sentence as the Mannix and the Phonics, apart from James Fox is nothing like the Mannix and the Phonics. So I uh, <laughs> have it uh, right way round. Um, you know, when I, all those bands, I grew up around the same time as, you know, because they're from Black, I'm from Bargard, you know, the Mannix are from Blackbird, the Phonics from Mountain Ash, you know, it's all like, we were pretty much all doing the same club and pub circuit around the time, but they were writing their own songs, whereas I was singing covers. My, my songwriting happened a bit later. But I got to meet, you know, uh, Stuart quite a lot of times, you know, um, just a lovely guy, as everybody say, you know, a big large and life character, a very talented guy and gone way too soon. You know, it's, um, yeah, tragic. But, uh, you know, they, they were, they, the whole guys, Kelly and everybody I met, um, it's always very welcoming. But, you know, I came through a slightly different route because I, I worked all clubs and pubs, workman's clubs and stuff, for, you know, 10, 12 years before I had any sort of break in London. Um, but in order to do that, I had to go on one of these reality TV shows. So that, uh, that sort of blotted my copybook a bit with these people, you know, because they, they were sort of like, um, so that was a bit of selling out. But I, I got to 27 and I still hadn't got a record deal and things like that. So it was, um, and back in the early noughties, that was sort of the way, the way it was. You know, everyone was either on Pop Idol or Pop Stars. It was one every week, wasn't it? If you weren't part of that, you, it was very hard to get a look in. So, um, you know, I'm happy I did it. But uh, yeah, and I also I duetted with Catherine Jenkins at the Albert Hall. You mentioned her. That's you know she she's fantastic. Obviously, um, we sh we shared a flat together for a while. I see London when I first moved here. Um, yeah, but uh, you know uh, just to be mentioned in, in uh, with all them is is a big honour. Thank you. No worries, no problem at all. It was just and one thing I, I really wanted to know is that you mentioned Lulu um, a, a moment, you know, and uh, you, you were supporting. We were at a concert or something. Uh, if I'm right. I toured with Lulu. Yeah, we did the whole. I did the whole tour. Yeah, the whole tour with Lulu. She was. She was great, man. And yeah, the thing about Lulu's fans is they got there early. So normally, if you're a support act, you're playing empty seats. But with Lulu's, you know, so every venue she did, and some big venues on that tour, they were all in there, sat in there like seven o'clock. You know, so I had a full audience every every night, and it was um, that was a really good tour. I enjoyed that. Uh, yeah, she's a lot of fun. She's a lot of fun. I didn't realize she was. Scottish until we went to Glasgow and did an interview and she suddenly went from this American accent to like, all right, pal, I was like, what, what happened to you? But uh, yeah, she was a lot of fun. Well, right, man. <laughs> Something like that, basically. Didn't know a Scottish man, apparently. But you know what, speaking of, when you mentioned about musical theatre and everything, um, Tim Rice's name popped up and he's, you know, musical theatre royalty, the man who, you know, who's written some wrote some brilliant songs with Andrew Lloyd Webber, you know, and it was in, you know, you got to my superstar and uh, Phantom of the, no, not Phantom of the, uh, you know, all his early days work with Andrew, 
Angelo Weber. But what was it like to work with Tim Rice? You know, he, he, a genius. You know, without a doubt. Yeah. What was it like to be in a be working with him and to share uh, ideas with him? Yeah, uh, he he is a genius. You're right. He's 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 up there, isn't he? He's, um... He's, I think he's one of the only three people who win an, uh, was it an Emmy, an Oscar, a Grammy, and a Tony, isn't it? He's won all four, which is you know incredible. Um, so obviously, when you're writing with him, you're a little bit intimidated, as you can imagine. He's got a few more awards than I have. Um, but I met him back in 2004 when I did Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, and he came backstage and he really enjoyed my performance. I was playing Judas at the time. Uh, we became friends. And then he recommended me for uh, a Billy Joel musical on Broadway, so he was very supportive. And then we just kept in touch and we became good friends and a lot of his, lot of his gigs and concerts I've done over the last 15 years. Um, so back, I think it was 2012, I'd done a lot of work for the military over the last 20 years in Afghanistan, Iraq and all these sorts of places that uh, the British Legion asked me to do the Poppy Appeal song. So I thought, well, maybe I can ask Tim if you want to do the lyrics. Uh, which he did, you know, he said he doesn't normally do like one-off songs, you know, he writes a full musical, so it was a slightly, well, he's done that, but, uh, you know, he, he, I guess he's obviously known more for his musicals, but um, saying that, he's written some, you know, written a few hits, but um, we just wrote this one song together, I did the music, and we didn't actually collaborate too much, I did the music, sent it over, and he kind of wrote the lyrics, and then we had a few days just going through it, maybe tweaking a few lyrics here and there, but when something like that gives you lyrics, it's very hard to, you know, they were great. And anyway, maybe you wouldn't sort of turn around and say, well, there was one line I, I did say to him actually, and he, and he would say this, I said, that line there, does that, does that sort of sing, does that sing right? Is that scan right? Is that, that bit at the end there? And it was deadly silence, man. And he just looked up at, jokingly, he looked up at his trophy cabinet, all his awards and said, I've done this before, you know. <laughs> but, but, enough, I'll shut up, I'll sit back now. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, one of the things, you know, I've, because um, with me, I mean, um, I, I've grown up, you know, performing and everything. And uh, the thing is with me, I, I sort of acting and, and uh, script writing has always been my kind of thing. And um, and one of the things I've always tried to uh, to always assess is how do other playwrights, you know, how do other these writers work their way and do their craft and everything. And, um, and I remember, um, you know, I, I produced directed written two plays, you know, just out of my own backing because I really wanted to write a play. But I remember my um, my fiance, she's, um, she's in university still at the moment, finishing her final year, and she took a script writing course. And one of the funniest things was is that she went, I don't know how to write a script, I don't know. And I went, right, what are you writing? Screenplay, play, whatever, what are you doing? She went, I want to write a theatre play. I went, right, then this is what you've got to do. So she wrote this um, 10 page battle of the script. And I just turned around and said, right, and this is what I'm going to show you. So I just took it over and within 10 minutes, the script was completely different. And this is how your character could sound like. And then, how did you do that? I just went, well, it's years of practice, years of, you know, doing what, you know, if you're used to doing this, then it's just going to come naturally. And, uh, and then, yeah. every then she's not, <laughs> not left me alone when it gets like, she's going to sit here and going to help me out. I thought, Oh, come on, leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. I got James Fox on the podcast, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but with, with that in mind, in theater, musical theatre now, have you ever, um, uh, well, like, like I said, we do a lot of research, but I always want to know off the bat and everything. Did you do a lot of musical theatre in your career? Uh, well, that, that came as a surprise, really, because, like I said, I've been like a struggling musician and just gigging around every gig known to man until I was like, 
27. And after I did that Film Academy show, it was a producer called Bill Kenwright got in touch with my manager at the time and said, look, we'd like him to do Jesus Christ Superstar. I didn't know what that was. I had no idea what that was. You know, I said, well, I'll do it as long as I'm Jesus. I didn't know, you know, you know what, what was the main part of anything. It sounded like the main part. But um, so they told me they wanted me to be Judas. And I'll check it out. And that was basically my introduction to musical theatre. I, I, it's, it's sort of lucky in a way that when you're on one of those shows, it was actually after Eurovision that um, that happened. And when you've had that exposure, you know, you kind of get straight to the front of the queue, you know. So I know there's a lot of people have been studying very hard and, you know, went to acting drama school and then I ended up sort of taking this role on. So it was um, it's a bit daunting. I've never done it before. But then I spent 10 years doing that, you know, uh, between that show, Chess, uh, moving out, the Billy Joel one, the Let It Be one, the Beatles one. So it kind of took up 10 years of my life, musical theatre, which is great. But now I'm back sort of writing my own stuff again. Um, you know, it was a nice departure, but I realised that, you know, I, had, I wanted to go back to songwriting because it's, it's, it's a tough grind, man. Eight shows a week, you know, uh, especially on tours and stuff. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, well, it's, a, it's a good gig, you know, but... Um, yeah, you can't stand here with a guitar and a beer, you know, when you're, when you're on, in the stage in the West End, it's got to be a bit more professional. So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah I've done, done 10 years of that, so I can slack off again. <laughs> Would you ever consider doing uh, writing a musical? Would you ever just one day go, hmm, I, I'd like to write something about this, or I would like to do a musical theatre show? Not right. I just did an album this year, obviously, because, you know, we had, we had not a lot else to do. Um, and that nearly broke me, man, you know, and that was just about, you know, that's just me all my songs, you know, I've had to think of all these different characters. Maybe it'd be easier, I guess, if it's not just self-reflective stuff. Maybe if you've got characters like that, it might be easier to sort of shoehorn songs in and, and write, but uh, not something I've really thought of. Um, no, I did write some songs for a musical a couple of years back with a friend of mine, but uh, they were just single songs that we sort of shoehorned into a musical. But uh, no, not, no, I think my musical theatre days, you never know, but uh, yeah, it's not something I've focused on right now. Are you looking for the perfect bracelet for a loved one? Would your man be interested in a personalised keyring from his children? Are you looking for the best priced jewellery whether it be a necklace, ring, earrings, bangle or even more? Look no further than Crafted Arts. Crafted Arts is a local business based in Barry within the Vale of Morgan and they have a range of all the perfect items you need. If it's for the perfect gift for an anniversary or maybe it's for someone's birthday, maybe something for Christmas or you wanted to give someone that perfect gift that will last a long time, Crafted Arts is the business for you. If you want to know more or see what they have in stock, then you can visit them locally at 29 High Street, Barry, Villa Morgan, CF627EB. Or you can go onto their website at www.craftedarts.co.uk. You can even email them at info at craftedarts.co.uk or maybe just give them a call at Oh, double seven eight nine nine four two four eight. Trust me, it's worth it for the perfect gift. The best thing about Creative Space is that we don't just want to encourage people in being creative in TV, film, or even theatre. We also want you to be creative in a variety of other things as well. So, do you want to have experience in making jewelry? Do you want to pick up a hobby but do not know what to take or where to start? then look no further than the Veil Jewelry Workshops. Veil Jewelry Workshops provides the best experience in teaching you how to make the best sterling silver jewelry. They will help you make a range of silverware including rings, 
bracelets, and many more pieces. You will learn the basic silversmith skills such as soldering, texturing, shaping, and lots more. Not only do the workshops provide the experience for adults, it also provides the best experience and fun for children as well. So if you want to learn on how to make sterling silver jewelry, and if you're very interested, go onto their website at www.veildewelryworkshops.co.uk or get in touch with them via email at info at veildewelryworkshops.co.uk or even phone them at 07789794248. So you mentioned Bill Kem, right? And my dad would have loved you if you were here right now. He's a big Everton fan. I was going to say Everton fan, right? Right. Yeah. Um, uh, what was what was he like? You know, because uh, my, my dad would probably ask. My dad would probably ask, "What's he like as an Everton channel? I'd be, I'm going, Dad. I, I want to know what's he like as a theatre producer. So I've seen some of his work. I've seen Shawshank Redemption on stage. He, he's very well known as you know producing movies onto stage, which I uh, I think, well, that's clever. But you know, he's going to be well known for producing Blood Brothers, you know, and yeah, uh, right. all those particular uh, plays and musicals. What would you like as a theatre producer? What would you like to work with him as a you know professional theatre man, as he's originally did? That's an interesting. You don't know how interesting that question is because um, you know obviously he's he's, a, he's been very successful. Gives a lot, a lot of people a lot of work, and um, we kind of fell out for want of a better word. Uh, um, yeah, you know. So it's been a long time now. Um, yeah, no, I had uh, you know. To be honest, he it was his show, but we worked with a guy called Bob Thompson was the director. Uh, so we didn't have a lot of hands-on sort of work day-to-day -day with Bill Kemp, it's his company. So in terms of working with him on a day-to-day -day basis, I wouldn't know. He popped in a few times and was very sort of, um, he'd offer, you know, uh, some direction notes and things like that and oversaw it, I guess. But in terms of day-to-day -day work, we didn't really work with him. And then I kind of left that job under a bit of a cloud. Um, I won't tell you the parting words, but uh, safe to say we haven't spoken since. He was probably too busy working on Coronation Street, if you know what I mean. <laughs> possibly, possibly, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah, it depended what if Everton won, what mood he'd be in. So, uh, yeah, you know, he's normally in a bad mood. Yeah, uh, yeah, that that's the same as me. It's like um, I remember, you know, I'm a bit like that. It's, uh, some of my friends. I remember I, I directed, a, uh, helped uh, direct a play of mine called the waiting room and uh, we did one rehearsal on a sunday and i went on an away trip to like it was Carnarvon or something like that with, with barry and we lost terribly and the next day because it was a long journey and you know, i went into Canada, i was definitely in and i just i don't know why uh, my, my mate adam always played one of the main parts he always takes his driving with me and he, i will hold that against you if you do it again and uh, but what i did was i came in i went right not in a good mood the team lost just um, I came back from Canavan late at night and we have a good performance and it's your charity. And um, one person said, and I just want to go put charity in the minute. And uh, luckily, did because uh, hey, right, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah well. I did because I, I'm no, I'm no Tarantino or some professional. <laughs> 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 oh, we, we love to do all that sort of thing, and uh, I, I look back and laugh about it because uh, it was stupid, and I love doing stupid things. So, uh, <laughs> no, look, I was a very like hot-headed 27-year-old that's been in pub bands and like used to drinking, you know on stage and you know throwing guitars around and you know falling out of pubs and then to be in an eight show a week musical theater all these professionals it was a bit of a you know a bit of a wake-up call and a baptism of fire it was a, it was um yeah i had to do a lot of uh 
you know, evolving. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I always want to know about this because uh, a lot of um, a lot of interviewers and a lot of podcasts they always talk about you know the big venues and the you know the big venues like the Motorpool Arena or the Millennium Stadium, you know, or um, Well Albert Hall or whatever. You know, but I always want to know what was how. What was the atmosphere and the and the environment like in pubs and clubs and social clubs? You know, because I always feel like that's a a bit of a more challenging um, challenging area to do than it is at a concert because you know you got the well I think I'm going to touch it myself in a minute but totally, yeah but, but with the pubs you know you you're there with the punters they they're, they're drinking constantly and going to the bar and then you got the concert people that's there and they just fixate on you but. What was I like to be in the pubs and social clubs, just singing, you know? I, I tell you what, mate, that's the baptism of fire. If you can, if you can do that for 10 years back in the day, as it, as it was, um, any gig from the Albert Hall to like, I've done army base in, Af in Afghanistan. I've been, I've had it where we've done the Ford operating bases in Afghanistan where they got, you know, people firing over the top of you in a tent. If, you, if you've done, you know, some of the gigs, the pub gigs in South Wales prior to that, you, you, you'll, um, You'll be fine, you know. It was uh, I, I. I remember getting like thirty pound for a gig, and you know, being paid, being paid off at half time, given twenty, and said you're not even worth that. You know, it's brutal, man. It's brutal, you know. And like, because they, they're there for the bingo, aren't they? You know, they're there for the bingo and the drink. And if if uh, if the act's any good, then that's a bonus. But you know, it was you cut your teeth there. That honestly, for like the gigs I've done in the Albert Hall or like Afghanistan or Royal Festival Hall or Millennium Stadium, wherever it is. It's a breeze because everything's done for you. You walk out, it's, it's just, you know, it's just a big crowd. It's pitch black. It might be one there, it might be 10, 20,000. It doesn't really matter. When you got like 200 people in, uh, I don't know, say, um, any of the workmen's clubs, I won't mention one, it'd be unfair, but any of them, you walk out to that. Yeah, you know, that's that's still a scariest thing in my you know that that was a bigger challenge if you go if you come through that experience i think you you get through anything because everything's a breeze after that. i call upon that those experiences whenever i'm doing anything now it's like well you know if you can work those rooms it's anything's uh easy after that without mentioning any pubs or clubs or anything like that was there a particular uh, moment for you that stood out where you look back and it was a, either a tense moment or a feel-good moment if you've got a particular story you want to tell us about you know, especially you know for those singers you know who are starting out yeah i mean they were t oh my god i mean they were it got dark man i mean i was doing it six or seven nights a week for 10 years you know you'd be out the back of fire escapes in the snow and the rain you know like the treacherous these you know the straight up staircases carrying all your gear into the back of this pub you know and everyone's smoking in there you know you might as well have been smoking yourself you know back in the day it was just like fog you know um well, we used to do this gig. It was which one sticks out? It was uh, it was called the Spunk Shed in uh, in Newbridge. Was it Newbridge? I'm pretty sure it was the Memo. Oh, yeah, whatever it was. I'm pretty sure was it Newbridge. Spunk Shed. Ah, damn it! I got to get that right. Um, it will blend into one. But this place in particular was like a Sunday morning gig, or like twelve o'clock, eleven o'clock, or whatever. And you had three or four hundred, you know, young people at the time. It wasn't like an older workers club. It's like you know. Well, they ranged from everything there, you know, 18 to 80, I guess. But it was, that was tough. And we won them over. I remember playing um, Roll With It, Oasis. Um, if it wasn't prior to that song, we were going to get bottled out of there, man. We were, we, were on, we were on the cusp of getting bottled and thrown out. You know, it was, um, we were playing things like Help For My Friends and, uh, you know, singing the blues and all that. And it was getting a bit, you know, 
getting a bit edgy. And then we pulled that one out of the bag and the place went off. And then uh, then it was all right. Um, oh God, between that and being, you know, paid off, singing in front of dartboards, you know, the dartboard light is your stage light, you know. It, so, you know, when you get your own dressing room in the West End and somebody's, you know, preparing everything for you, it's, uh, you realize how lucky you are. Cause you know, if you've done 10 years of that and worse then, um, yeah, God, man, I could write a like a book on it. It is. It's, it's got to be what ten years times fifty-two weeks soon, and it's got to be like five thousand gigs there. You know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, yeah that's, that's uh, yeah. I wouldn't wish it mad way, Yeah, because it's, it's very humbling as well. Because you get a lot of singers. You know, um, I, I know I'm only going through by um, you know experience of listening to some singers. You know where they come from and that. And I've always that's why. I've, not being like a, a Welsh biased person or anything like that, but that's why I've always appreciated a lot of Welsh singers and where they come from. And that's why I appreciate Tom Jones because he, I mean, you know, he's always talked about, um, I've come from this, I've had to do in pubs and clubs and everything, but then there was, it was like a, uh, uh, Shirley Bassey as well, she, I mean, Tiger Bay, you know, as it was called back then, the roughest, the rough part of Cardiff, and, uh, you know, and, and she's come from that. So a lot of people think, yeah, but you got to know where the background is before anyone can judge the character as they are now. And um, but it was it was there any character that you thought was um, in your in your time career where you thought that they were too prima donna and forgotten where they come from? Was there any people like that, or were they just all humble and a lot of gratitude? Uh, no, there's a lot of people like that. You know, there's a lot of people like that. Um... You know, it, and if you had any of that ego, like you said, going into, um, even if you were like a, a big club act, you know, because I got the stage, I was getting paid like 10 pounds more than everybody else on a Saturday. So they expected it to be really good, you know. Um, if anybody walked in with any ego, I remember there's a few back in the day in those clubs that used to walk in as if they just, you know, um, you know, were number one in the chart, you know. Um, yeah, and it, I don't know what it is. It's, I think maybe it's the Welsh thing, or I don't know, but that sort of, self sort of um deprecating way i guess I, i'll go on you know if, if you walk on, on in those stages with an ego like that you know you're going to get found out pretty quick same with the army you know i've done gigs in front of two thousand four thousand people in afghanistan outdoors if you walk on and think you're anything other than where you've come from or what you are you're not going to get out of there in an hurry you know so i think it does keep you humble you know and they were they were some of the best times in my life i've been paid well to do really nice gigs but the best time I had was in a piano bar, a blackboard, but and paid fifty pound a week for doing three hours a night, you know, and literally working for beer money. Um, I just, we're just very lucky to be doing music for a living, you know. That that's that's why I always come back to, and it can be successful, or it can be you can be back in a in a workman's pub tomorrow. Um, you know, I'm just very lucky to be just singing. I've never worked a day in my life, so touch wood, you know. That's you know, but a lot of people forget that, and a lot of people get a lot of success. Uh, there's a lot of people on the shows I was on, the Fame Academy shows, the minute they got on to the TV stages, thought, oh, I've arrived now, and they started treating all the all the runners and the production staff like they were something special. You know, you've got to be very careful because uh, there's a lot of people, you know, you're going to meet a lot of people on the way up and down, as they say, isn't it? So, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just lucky to be doing music every day, man. If, and if it resonates with people and it's successful, great, but I can't do anything else. So, um yeah, that's 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 all it is. You supported uh, Tina Turner, uh, Tina Turner, and uh, um, and you worked with you know Let It Be on the, the shows with the Beatles and everything. So uh, I, first of all, uh, 
I, I, I'm assuming that you've met Paul McCartney because you have to replace him at one point, or did you ever work with it? Did you ever see no. Paul McCartney like that? No, no, it's weird. No, it's um, no, because I, I was obviously I was playing him for three years in that show. Um, there's obviously the, him and Ringo left, obviously with George and John, no longer with us. So out of the four Beatles, I was one of them that you know possibly could have, he could have been in the audience at some point. We were in York, we opened up on Broadway, and he was in New York, but. He may, he may have turned up, but he didn't. He certainly didn't let make himself known to me. You know, rumor was that he was coming to the show, but he didn't come and see me. Maybe he was that offended. I don't know. Um, I've met him uh, outside of that show in, in in some bizarre places, but not not during that show. But uh, yeah, no, I never got to meet never got to meet him. But he, talking about not being humble, I mean, him. There's one. You know, we had a long chat in a canteen in a place called Music Bank once. Tina Turner was chatting to me backstage as if. You know, just like asking asking questions about me, really humble, you know, and then you meet a few, you know, and a few from my past, like you said, that, um, that don't even answer their calls anymore because I'm not, you know, on the A-list. <laughs> well, let's talk about your uh, recent um, recent one now, it's the firing call. So what what's the uh, story behind that then? Where did you, uh, what was the reason behind firing call? Well, that's, that's that's the second single from this album I've done this this year. Um, obviously, I had a lot of gigs planned this year from Mar last March onwards, and like everyone else, you know, everything went a bit uh, went a bit south. So I thought, what can I do here? I'm gonna, you know, I'll spend as long as it takes to do another album because I've been desperate to do one, really, but too busy with touring and musical theatre and, and other bits and pieces. So the only advantage to this year I've been stopped was the fact I was allowed to record and I did it all in here, uh, apart from the drums, my mate did them in America, but everything was just recorded in this room. So I did a whole album and that was a song really, um, yeah, that, that's a song, I mean, a lot of the album talks about uh, my sort of journey to this point really, like I've had a few ups and downs, a few addictions and a few bits and pieces to deal with. Um, and it was just sort of like, going through going through my life really and writing jotting these bits and pieces down and realize wow I'm, I'm from and because of where i'm from wales uh and because of all the experiences i just talked about that sort of stood me in good stead really to to cope with all the ups and downs of this career because we are sort of made on uh, you know raised on fire and coal as the song says so i was raised the right way and you know it's um got my feet on the ground and humble and all the rest of it i like to think um so that that's that song talking about some demons in my past, some sort of gambling things I've been through and bits and pieces and how, you know, my sort of upbringing got me through it, really. You know what, playing Paul, it sounds a bit more like it, you know, it's like a metaphor for, for the Welsh thing, because you know where Wales have come from of uh, coal mining industries and everything. It sounds a bit like a, a definition of Wales kind of thing, like a metaphor of, you know, the working class back on mining. I don't know why, like, it just popped into my head, because I know you, it's, it's, it's a song about your was in the past and where you've come from and how you've built yourself as a character. And I thought, I thought, is that like a, a, a Welsh thing as well, you know, because, you know, the mind is bad. I thought it was good. Yeah. But uh, I listened as well, it's really good. Fair play. Yeah. I mean, I, and, uh, and I haven't got, like, and I'll be honest, I haven't got like a specific taste in music. A lot of people say, uh, are you a musical fan? I go, I listen to musicals, but I wouldn't say I'm a, you know, I'm a diehard, you know, musical people like uh, some friend of mine. And then, you know, because I listen to, I mean, I've only been to one concert in my life. I wrote for my answer, only one. And that was Iron Maiden in Cardiff. Oh, that's, that's, that's the one, man. Yeah, I went to Iron Maiden concert. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, the one thing, I'll tell you one thing. It was, because it, 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 it happened a day after the Manchester bombings. Uh, and uh, I, I will never forget it. And, uh, and I, was, I was a bit gutted because, you know, um, 
uh, a friend of mine uh, introduced me to Iron Maiden, and he said to me, "This took you so long to get into Iron Maiden. How dare you!" And uh, so he showed me, you know, Fear of the Dark, you know, uh, Brave New World, and all these songs. Oh my God! Why have I not listened to him since I was born? You know, and just uh, and and when the Manchester bombings happened, I thought I'm done. I'm not going to see Iron Maiden, and then all of a sudden, you know, still carrying on. And I was in the Cardiff Motorcade Arena, and all of a sudden, you know, things like giving it all. I thought I am possessed by Iron Maiden. Uh, uh, and there was my first ever concert. A lot of people sitting thinking, not going to be nice for years for you. I would know. I made in my first one. I've probably my only one for a while now. But anyway. that's a great one, man. And they're very theatrical. It's weird. There's a lot of theater in their in their stuff as well. You could make a musical with their, their stuff in a heartbeat. And you got the Eddie guy. I mean, yeah. That's where you wanna, that's where you want to start writing. Well, that's, do you know uh, what? I um, like I said. I, I've got few. I have got a few. I will. I mean, I love Phil Collins. Uh, I, I've always been a big fan of Phil Collins. But that's just because I, I just love some of his songs. But I said to a friend of mine, like, I, um, he was my mate Nick Hewitt. So I'll give you a shower there, Nick. But uh, I was in the car with him, we were coming back from a Barry game, and I said, why is there not been an Iron Maiden musical? You've just got to listen to the lyrics, how, you know, they tell a story, they, they tell you, they take you on a journey, and I'm thinking, and I said, I wouldn't be surprised, Fear of the Dark was a villain's song, you know, because, my God, that would have been, like, oh, wait a minute, I'm going to play right now. Can we do that? <laughs> I have to send a letter out to both things to me. Right, right, it down, man. Yeah. But, um, oh, but, but it's great, you know, to, to talk about music and everything instead of talking about. I know we talked about uh, Cardiff and everything, but it's great. Yeah, it's not been a good. We won last night, but it's not been a good. It's not been a good couple of days, you know. So uh, I'm, get, I'm yeah. getting over the, the the Swansea defeat. So, oh, so there we go. Yeah, that, that's the thing, though, because I when I when I started doing this podcast, I wanted to get away from a lot of football stuff because you know um, uh, it's like me, you know, when I talk about you know podcasting and theatre writing and everything. A lot of my mates always say to me. What defines you as a person? You know, are you more focused on the podcasting or the football side or the, the playwright side, the theatre, whatever? I think, oh, I don't know. I'd like to just scoop it all up and just go, I'm everything, you know. And uh, and that's why I try to do this po- podcast now. With let's talk with the likes of you and hopefully uh, others more in the future because I really want to learn more and probably learn one or two lessons from the likes of you or whatever in the future. And you know just. Talk, just talk to people, you know, and see where they come from, and it's been brilliant <laughs> so far. But um, one other thing I really want to mention, and uh, my my missus will kill me if I uh, don't mention this, but it's wet, wet, wet. You know, you did a supporting uh, one with them, and uh, as as a group, you know, what would you like to work with them? Uh, do you know what? I I wrote a lot of songs with Graham. It's Graham uh, Clark, the bass player that I got friendly with back um, back in the early two thousands. I was a big fan of the band, um, like like most people were, uh, and we started writing some songs together. So we got we had we've got about an albums worth of songs that never got released. One or two did. They were on I think a B side or Sony song I had out at some point. Um, yeah, they're a good bunch, man. They were very, very kind to me. You know, I've supported them on tour quite a lot. Um, they gave me some great opportunity. I played Wembley, you know, Wembley Arena, supporting them, which I've always wanted to play Wembley, just to walk out and say hello, Wembley. You know, that was that was fun. Um, yeah, they're, they're a good bunch, they, you know. Uh, yeah, I haven't spoken to the guys for, for a while, but um, yeah, no, they were... Uh, yeah, they're very, very generous for the time and very generous for the tours they offered me. And, you know, like I said, wrote lots of songs on them. Um, 
yeah, you know, we'll have to, I'll have to catch up with them. It's been a while. You lose track of people. Right? It's, yeah. Um, yeah, especially, you know, in this business. So what's the future for you then, James? Or what's the, the next plan for you then? Well, right, well, the next, the next I, I sort of, we did Fire and Call was sort of October into November. That was on the, on the radio and released. Uh, so ideally I would have got a song out sort of uh, pretty much now, but with all the Christmas stuff happening, you get, you get lost in the wash day. You know, it's like there's too many, uh, you can't compete with the Christmas market. So the next single is called The Rest of Our Lives. And that's going to be out at the end of January, January 29th. And then the album I've been working on all year is called All the Fours, and that's out on February the 5th. So, you know, that should, I'll, I'll take, you know, this time off now, a couple of weeks, and then hopefully things will kick in middle of January again, start promoting the rest of our lives. Uh, hopefully that does well, then the album, hopefully people like that. Uh, and then, you know what, that'll take us up to March, and then, you know, you never know, is the world gonna be in a place where we can start performing again? That's the plan, but, uh, you know that that that's the plan. You want I want to get out there and play. You know it's not right. I've been I wrote these songs. I recorded them all. You know it's been a year. I've had them all uh, by that point. So you want to get out and, and play them. You know and, and and tour them and stuff. So I'm just hoping that the world goes back for everybody to play so we can go to gigs and and play. But um, I'm excited about releasing the album. But you know hopefully we get to, to perform it live. Final question for you then. I've always asked this on many other podcasts, and it's becoming a tradition for me to ask uh, people this. But how do you look back on your career? <laughs> uh, very lucky, mate. Very lucky because I know a lot more talented people than me that never got a chance to do anything. Uh, but I also know a lot of people that have not much talent that managed to do quite a lot. So, you know, um, I think I mentioned in the earlier question, just if I'm doing music, then I'm happy. But uh, I've had some amazing opportunities, you know, um, through it, luck, hard work, whatever, you know, a mixture of, of, of everything, I think. But, uh, you know, if it ended tomorrow, which I don't want it to, I'll be very happy. But um, yeah, I think this album and where I am now is sort of a place of contentment. It feels like a half, it's a half time, you know, I'm like sort of very lucky. What a great experience, what a great career up until now. I want a bit more of it. I want it to be more about <clears throat> my, my sort of songs and what I've got to say. Um, and look, you know, I'm talking, the songs talk about looking back over that part of my career as well. So I'd like that to be a big focus. Um, yeah, because at certain times it was about having the right haircut and being on the right TV show or magazine, but which was a lot of fun. I got to do some crazy things, some of it legal, um, you know. So I'm just hoping to, uh, that the, you know, that the songwriting uh, sort of carries on from now on and that, that gets more recognition or more, you know, not so much recognition, but uh, I can get the songs out to people because I haven't done a lot of songwriting in the last couple of years. But yeah, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't change anything, man. It's been there's been some uh, incredible highs and lows, but it, you know, it got it got me to here. So very lucky. And I just want to say as well, James, thank you so much for coming on the show, uh, first episode as well. And I really do appreciate you finding the time just to come on and talk about your career and stab, stab, really. Thank you it's been good to chat to you, mate. Thank you very much. And uh, you're, you're always welcome down the city if you ever want to come back. I know those two guys were, but uh, point them out. I, I know people down there. So. Are you looking for the perfect bracelet for a loved one? Would your man be interested in a personalised keyring from his children? Are you looking for the best priced jewellery, whether it be a necklace, ring, earrings, bangle or even more? Look no further than Crafted Arts. Crafted Arts is a local business based in Barry within the Vale of Morgan and they have a range of all the perfect items you need. If it's for the perfect gift for an anniversary or maybe it's for someone's birthday, 
maybe something for Christmas, or you wanted to give someone that perfect gift that will last a long time, Crafted Arts is the business for you. If you want to know more or see what they have in stock, then you can visit them locally at 29 High Street, Barry, Villa Morgan, CF627EB. Or you can go onto their website at www.craftedarts.co.uk. You can even email them at info at craftedarts.co.uk or maybe just give them a call at 077-89-94248. Trust me, it's worth it for the perfect gift. The best thing about Creative Space is that we don't just want to encourage people in being creative in TV, film or even theatre. We also want you to be creative in a variety of other things as well. So do you want to have experience in making jewellery? Do you want to pick up a hobby but do not know what to take or where to start? Then look no further than the Veil Jewellery Workshops. Veil Jewellery Workshops provides the best experience in teaching you how to make the best sterling silver jewellery. They will help you make a range of silverware including rings, bracelets and many more pieces. You will learn the basic silversmith skills such as soldering, texturing, shaping and lots more. Not only do the workshops provide the experience for adults, it also provides the best experience and fun for children as well. So if you want to learn on how to make sterling silver jewellery and if you're very interested, go onto their website at www.veildewelryworkshops.co.uk or get in touch with them via email at info at veildewelryworkshops.co.uk or even phone them at 077-89-794248. Hi. Hi, we're Billboard Ensemble. Uh-huh. And have we got news for you. You better listen. Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, is coming to the Memo Arts Centre from the 20th to the 23rd of July, featuring 25 dance floor classics such as I Will Survive, Hot Stuff, Go West, and many more. Tickets on sale now at memoartcentre.co.uk or call at 01446 738 622. 